Ben, Jess, can I invite you to uh, come and join me up here this morning? It's absolutely wonderful uh, to have Ben and Jess uh, with us. Um, and uh, it seems a long time ago now that you were uh, announced that you were arriving, and we've had to wait that little bit longer. Um, but when uh, Ben and Jess were announced as coming, uh, Graham did a wonderful interview over Zoom, which I went back and watched again just to remind myself um, what, what was questions were asked there because I didn't want to repeat anything. So uh, that was very much a who are you as people, what do you like doing, and things like that. So today I'm just going to ask them a few questions about what things might be happening at Christchurch. So um, I'm asking Ben the first question is, um, so Ben, at what point did you realise that God was calling you into ordination? Uh, well, I know the actual day, in fact, which is the, uh, the 14th of November in 1997. Uh, I just completed, I was 14, which tells you how old I am. Um, <laughs> I just completed a task at school where we had to work out what we wanted to do when we grew up. And uh, I decided I wanted to be an actuary. (laughs) That's slightly uh, different. (laughs) I find accountancy too exciting. And um, sad old chestnuts. I literally woke up in the morning and uh, I knew that God was calling me to be a vicar. And uh, it took me another three or four years before I owned up to my parents because my mum had spent my entire life telling me not to be a vicar Um, uh, because my dad is also ordained and uh, she uh, wanted me to do something else. So it took me a while, but uh, yeah, so it was quite a long time. Yes, brilliant. Well done. Excellent. So Jess, you are obviously married to Ben. What's it actually like uh, being a doctor and a vicar's wife? Yeah, to, it seems a bit of a common pairing, actually, from, from speaking to colleagues on both sides of our, of our um, work, I think. But um, I, I work shifts, so expect not to see me sometimes. Expect to see me sometimes looking completely tired. <laughs> and possibly I will have just come home that morning. But uh, it's a, a good old trip up the A38 and back to Derby, so I'll get very acquainted with that. I'm enjoying the summer holidays at the moment with the lack of traffic, but I suspect that might get a bit worse in September. Um, from then pairing that with being the vicar's wife, I'm good at baking, so I've got that going Excellent. for me. I don't drink tea or coffee, and that makes it quite hard to make tea or coffee for others. So if I have ever made you one, please do correct me if I, <laughs> if I need some little gentle tips. <laughs> we'll, we'll remind you, don't worry, don't worry. That's brilliant. Um, So, Ben, you've worked in three quite different parishes now um, in your time as an ordained priest. Um, So what drew you to apply to Christchurch? Yeah, well, uh, I keep keep hoping that God will call me somewhere with mountains by the sea. And uh, he keeps calling me to the Midlands. So, uh, oh, well, there's a mountain out there, Pat says. So he's called me to a mountain and there's a river down there, isn't there? So there's a bit of water and mountain. Um, I don't want to sound overly pious, but I've, I've really only chosen parishes based on where I believe God's called me to go, and, uh, um, and in this case, where Chris Turner told me to go. <laughs> so, same thing, yeah, same thing in, this, in this case. Um, I, can't, I don't actually know how many conversations Chris and I had about me coming to Christchurch, but um, uh, I remember reading the parish profile in August last year, which I think was possibly for the third round of applications, and... Uh, I read through it and 
you know, begins with the sort of person you want. And I thought, that really sounds like me. And I read about all the things you do and what sorts of people you are. And I thought, this, sound, this sounds really good. And I, I really felt in my spirit that God was calling me here. But I had committed myself to Amington for five years. And at that point, I'd only been there for four. Um, and so it was with a kind of a long decision. But I decided it wasn't the right time to apply. And then, of course, you didn't point again. And uh, then the fourth time, Chris said, come on, Ben. You really need to apply. So I did, and, uh, and yeah, here we are. Eight, eight months ago today, I was interviewed. Gosh. 8th of December. I looked it up. I take no responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Chris. So obviously the last couple of weeks has been massive changes, um, and in, in that you've moved house, and we know how stressful that can be. Um, how did it actually all go? As, as well as a house move can be expected to go, it gave us a chance to clear out belongings that we didn't need to be bringing with us anymore. Um, and actually, yesterday afternoon, my sister had come to stay, and for the first time since the move, I felt like we actually did home stuff in the house, not moving stuff in the house. We, we baked some brownies, we watched some telly, we cooked, cooked dinner, and it was really lovely to have got to that point just before arriving here for the first Sunday. So. That's great. Um, and if I could just grab this at the moment, <clears throat> while I've got a microphone anyway, we'd just really like to thank everybody who had a hand in yeah. all parts, from pre-interview to being here today. We felt such a sense of welcome, and it's a really nice position to start in. Um, yes. So for everyone who helped cleaning, painting, who's cooked us meals, snacks, and brought us flowers, and it's just been wonderful so thank you thank you thank you brilliant so Ben what are you most excited about um, I think probably working with um, and in teams of people um, so Amington's quite a small church which is it's great for sort of learning the ropes as a vicar um, and we were just starting to to grow some small teams to work in but there was a lot of stuff that I I ended up having to do on my own that depended on me being there for it to happen and uh, I get the sense, and I, well, I certainly hope that that's not the case here, <laughs> that I can, I can be part of things, but that things don't depend on me all the time, uh, which is better for keeping things going long term. So I'm really excited about working with all of you. Really? I mean that. <laughs> You're looking like, really? Us? No. And, and just sort of the same question, what are you most looking forward to? I'm most looking forward to being around a bit more. I've dropped my hours this year to 80%, um, which has given me around about an extra day a week off. Um, I was finding that I was not there more often than not. I couldn't join a home group. I couldn't really get committed within any form of ministry within the church in Amington. And I'm really excited to see what... Jesus calls me to here. I'll take a bit of time to, to scan it out. I'm not jumping in, but I think to start off with, it would be nice to be more present, to get to know people, to be a support for Ben um, more. Because apart from that, I'm not a very good vicar's wife when I'm <laughs> out at work. <laughs> um, ben, what do you think the challenges are going to be? Uh, working with all you lot, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, I think, obviously, initially, one of the biggest challenges is going to be uh, navigating our way out of the pandemic and the lockdowns and the need to be both cautious, I think, and courageous as we find our way back to, to worshipping together and the fullness of that, which we are missing. Like I find it so hard 
not singing, and I find it so hard not shaking hands with people. I'm not much of a hugger, but I do like shaking people's hands. Um, and I think that's going to be, as far as I can see so far, a big challenge. The rest of the challenges, I'm guessing you're storing those up for me to discover for myself. And uh, what excites you most about being a vicar? Uh, seeing people come to faith and seeing people grow in faith. Uh, that's what I love to do and love to see. And uh, I hope I can have more freedom and flexibility to see that here than I have when I've been more involved perhaps in running an organisation rather than leading people in ministry and mission. So uh, I, I love it. There's no, there's no buzz like seeing someone come to faith for the first time or seeing someone's faith really just click and go deeper. And it, I love it. Sounds very exciting. So finally, Jess, um, how can we pray for you guys? I think for for me personally, for smooth travels up and down the A38, Mm -hmm. um, for us both, for settling in and and starting, I think for a real fire to, to get going and join in with your ministry here. I think the other thing would be remembering faces and names, particularly matching up half faces to full faces. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and with names, we're going to try our absolute very best. I think we've, we've made a decent start, but there are a lot of you. And I do apologise in advance if maybe two or three times you haven't to give us a gentle nudge. So prayers for faces and names as well, please. Don't worry, I've been near here nearly nine years and I still can't remember some people's <laughs> names. And apologies if it's you. I would just add to that. One, one of the really helpful things for starting to learn your names is, uh, is the prayer calendar that um, Amanda helped uh, gather up photos and names of people. If you haven't done that yet, it would be really helpful if you could send it to Amanda. Because what I'm doing is I, I've sort of split you all into, into days of the month so that over the course of a month I pray for you all. But I can pray for you all with a face and a name, which will help us learn your names. So if you haven't done that, please do. And if you have, thank you. Brilliant. Well, shall I just pray for uh, Ben and Jess? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for bringing Ben and Jess to us. We thank you that Ben answered the call uh, to come to Christchurch. We pray that they will settle quickly into their new home and that it will feel like home. We pray for safety for Jess as she travels back and forth to Derby. Father, we ask that uh, you will help them as they get to know people and all the ministries here. We pray for Ben as he seeks to lead us in the way that you are directing us. We pray for us as a church that we will all be open to hearing your voice as we begin to open up again following the easing of restrictions. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen. This morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 31, verses 7 and 8. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the presence of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you must go with this people into the land that the Lord swore to their ancestors to give them, and you must divide it among them as their inheritance. The Lord himself goes before you, and we'll be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we hear these words and think about them, 
I pray that you would speak into our hearts by your Holy Spirit. Teach us more about yourself. Direct us to Jesus and inspire us to be his disciples. Amen. We're looking at these words, uh, Moses' last words to the Israelites as they were about to enter Canaan and his handover of leadership to Joshua. It's an interesting fact about Joshua. Along with Adam and Eve, he's the only person in the Bible without any parents. He's introduced in Exodus 33 as Joshua, son of Nun. I, I put a pause there for the raucous laughter. <laughs> Uh, you'll discover about me that I quite like niche Bible puns. Uh, my favourites, if you've heard this one, the shortest man in the Bible, Bildad the shoe height. There's a good uh, The only Irishman in the Bible, Nicodemus. Some of my jokes are better than those, but most aren't, so please lower your expectations. Here in Deuteronomy 31, we are at the end of Moses' life. Forty years earlier, he had led the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt, and they'd been wandering in the desert wilderness ever since. Here, they are all by the River Jordan, about to enter the Promised Land. As Graham said, I chose this passage today, but I thought I'd like to clarify two reasons that I didn't choose it for. I did not choose it because I think you've been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and now I'm here, you're about to enter the promised land. That is not why I chose this passage. Uh, There's been much good and faithful ministry here over many years, not least during the vacancy and the pandemic. It's important for us and for you to acknowledge and say thank you for all those who have ministered to and supported this church family over the last two years in particular. So I repeat, I did not choose this passage because I think I'm about to lead you out of the wilderness into the promised land. I did choose it because like us now, God's people then were on the cusp of something new. So what Moses said to them then, I think is relevant for us today. I imagine some of them were excited about what was coming next. Others... I were probably quite nervous, apprehensive about the changes that were coming. Still others would have been downright terrified. They were about to go to war, after all. I hope we aren't. Many of them would have been weary and exhausted from the 40 years without a home. Excited, nervous, terrified, weary. I think they adequately described the main emotions swirling in my heart uh, at the moment. I'm excited about starting here at last with you all and following Jesus with you into wherever he is taking us. But there are a lot of nerves as well. I've not been this nervous before a sermon for quite some time. I'm pretty terrified of forgetting all your names. I'm quite good at remembering faces, but I struggle with putting the names to the face, which is why I keep asking about this prayer calendar. And I am exhausted from the last 18 months and the last few weeks in particular. So I think I can sympathize with how the people of Israel must have felt in that moment. Maybe you can too. Let's see what Moses said to Joshua and the people back then. 
I'm going to pick out three key phrases that Moses used. Uh, First, in verse 7, Moses said, You must go with this people into the land. Now, if you know the story of the Exodus and the wandering, you'll know that Moses was a firm, directive leader. He told the Israelites what to do, where to go, and sometimes it felt like he was dragging them along by sheer force of will. In most ways, his leadership had been a huge success. And yet, if you know that story of the struggles and the grumblings, you'll know that although he'd taken the people out of Egypt, he hadn't managed to take Egypt out of the people. They were constantly looking back. Sometimes, even, they said it would be better to go back into slavery. In a sense, Moses had failed to take the people with him. So here, perhaps... Moses was reflecting on that one failure, desperate for his protege to learn from that mistake. Lead the people, he said. Take their hearts with you as well as their bodies. Go with the people, he says. A few years ago, I read a biography of Steve Jobs, who was one of the founders of Apple Computer today the largest company in the world. I looked it up this morning. It's currently worth $2.4 trillion. I, I don't even know how a company can be worth $2.4 trillion. By all accounts, working for Steve Jobs wasn't very pleasant. He was a bit of a bully. He would scream and shout. Sometimes he would publicly humiliate employees who didn't do what he'd asked them to do. Failure was simply not an option for his staff. And he would insist on things that seemed impossible. And often, by his sheer force of will, they would do the almost impossible. But that is not the style of leadership that Moses commended to Joshua. It is not the style of leadership that Bishop David commended to me and to us on Tuesday. And you'll be glad to know I don't intend to use that very much. (laughs) Looking forward to my first PCC. In the presence of all Israel, Moses said to Joshua, go with this people. Which means that the people were being told to go with Joshua as well. It goes both ways. And so my main prayer for us is that we will all go together with each other into the future that God has in store for us. Second, verse 8 The Lord himself goes before you. The people weren't to follow Joshua, but God. Joshua was to lead the people in following God into the land. To lead by following with. That's a little phrase I like to, I sort of use to help myself. To lead by following with. This is so important because only God knows where we're going. Only God knows where we're going. I have no idea. I'll stand here and say that right now. I have no idea what God is going to call us to do in the next six months, year, five years, however long. But surely you might say the people knew exactly where they were going. They were going into the land. Well, yes, except that the land didn't really exist yet. There was no 
country called Canaan. There was a collection of something like 30 or different kings who kings in inverted commas, who ruled over little tribes and cities and, na- and little, little sort of patches of people. There was no such place as Israel yet, so the people had no idea exactly where they were going. So I haven't arrived with a five-year plan. I haven't arrived with any specific vision of what I want us to do, except to follow Jesus and to trust him to lead us. On Tuesday evening, I was uh, telling one or two before the service, some of our guests were late for the service. Unfortunately, they left in plenty of time, but they'd entered the wrong postcode into the sat-nav. So instead of going to B29 7PS, they went to B27 7PS, which is in ACOX Green. They were merrily driving along, following the sat-nav, with no clue that they were going in completely the wrong direction. And friends, it is so easy for churches to do that. Because there are so many good things that can be done. But that doesn't mean they all should be done. The key thing is not to hit the ground running, but to hit the ground kneeling. To hit the ground kneeling in prayer in listening, so we don't end up running in the wrong direction. And so as we emerge from the pandemic, hopefully, I don't know what it's going to be right for us to do. I don't know yet what it's going to be right for us to start doing again. I don't know what it's going to be right for us to stop doing anymore. There will be some of both of those. So I want to spend the next months praying and listening And I invite you to do the same. That is my commitment to you. I'm not going to go charging off into the distance yelling, follow me, follow me. I'm not going to do that. I want to spend the next few months observing, chatting to you, getting to know you, listening to what you have to say, listening to God, praying. As Moses told Joshua, I want us to go, but I want us to go where God is going before. That's where I want us to go. A little boy was afraid of the dark. One night, his mother asked him to go and fetch the broom from the garden and bring it to her. The little boy turned to his mother and said, Mummy, I don't want to go out there. It's dark. His mother smiled reassuringly. You don't have to be afraid of the dark. Jesus will look after you and protect you. The little boy looked at his mother really hard and asked, Are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. He is everywhere and he's always ready to help you when you need him. The little boy thought about it for a minute and then went to the back door and opened it a little. Peering out into the darkness, he called, Jesus, if you're out there, would you pass me the broom, please? Our third and final phrase comes at the end of this reading. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Wisely did Moses speak those words. Fear and discouragement are powerful enemies when it comes to following God. Especially when we are stepping into the unknown. 
Fear paralyzes us. It's like a barrier, a wall that stops us in our tracks. I don't know about you, Jess and I have been watching some of the Olympics over the last couple of weeks. And uh, it's fair to say, I can't even imagine being able to do the things that they do. Um, we were saying, weren't we, it would be, it'd be interesting to see a normal person running alongside the 100-meter runners, just so you can see just how much faster they are than normal people. Last night, we were watching the artistic or synchronized swimming. I, I just unbelievable. I, I don't even know how they hang upside down. I just, uh, anyway, amazing, amazing stuff. But if I were asked to do the 10-meter dive, it wouldn't be skill that would be my issue. It would be terror. <laughs> Sheer terror. Skateboarding as well. When they, you see them go up vertically like this, I think, oh my goodness, I could not do that. I would be too terrified even to start. And I wonder what you are afraid of this morning. You might be afraid of what I'm about to do to your church. <laughs> I don't know. You might be afraid of change full stop. You might be afraid of COVID. You might be afraid of something else. I don't know. We all have different fears. And the truth is that the opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's fear. Being afraid is normal. As I say, we all have fears. But when we let those fears take over, we are demonstrating a lack of trust in God. And then there's discouragement. For I'm honest, this is one I struggle with. I used to think um, I struggle with depression, but actually, I think it's discouragement. I get disheartened. That's where the word, the C-O-U-R in discourage, it means heart in Latin, the root. Normally, this happens when I try to do things in my own strength. When I try to plow on regardless and fail miserably. But sometimes it happens too when I'm doing the right thing. Because friends, the world is messed up and it is easy to get discouraged. Moses told Joshua and the people, do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Oh, well, all right then. <laughs> it's nice and easy. But did you spot what he said just before that? Did you spot why we don't need to be afraid? Why we shouldn't allow discouragement to take away our hearts. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. When we are afraid, we need to hear this. The Lord himself will be with you. He will never leave you. The antidote to fear is knowing and trusting that God is with us and will never leave us ever, even to the end of the age. When we're discouraged, we need to hear this. The Lord himself goes before you. He will never forsake you. The antidote to discouragement is knowing and trusting that God has gone and is going before us and will never make us fight in our own strength. The Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged.
This morning, I've picked out three phrases from Moses' words to Joshua. You must go with the people. The Lord himself goes before you. And do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. After this, Moses, it says in verse 9, wrote down the law, gave it to the priests. He then goes up on a mountain and he dies, having seen a vision of the land. And then the people set out from Shittim, where they were camped to the edge of the Jordan, and waited, actually. After all this, they had to wait three more days. Joshua 3, verses 1 and 2, simply says, they waited, camped by the river. They were ready, but first they stopped, waited and rested. As Chris said in his talk a couple of weeks ago, many of us feel weary. Weary of the pandemic, weary of the vacancy. I'm weary too. We're excited to be here, we really are. But we're still weary from the challenges of the last weeks and months. Therefore, I agree wholeheartedly with Chris's call to make August a month of rest. A month of rest. Those words from the reading that day, come with me, Jesus said, by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. I love the fact that Jesus is not Steve Jobs. Mercifully. He is not a demanding boss. He is not a hard taskmaster. In Matthew, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will tell you to stop moaning, pull your socks up, and get on with it. No. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. So, brothers and sisters, as we stand ready for something new, ready but for what? Rest. To start with. You can forget everything else I've said this morning, except this. As we rest, I want us to do three things. First, let us give thanks to the Father. Paul said, always give thanks to God the Father in everything. So, let's do that. Second, let us listen for Jesus' voice so we can follow him. There's a lovely picture in John 10 of the sheep and the shepherds, and the sheep recognize their master's voice, and they follow him. I would love us to be able to recognize our master's voice. So let's listen for Jesus' voice. Third, let us pray, come Holy Spirit. We need his help. We need his inspiration, and we need his power. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. Give thanks to the Father, listen for Jesus' voice, and pray come Holy Spirit. I believe as we spend the next few weeks resting and in prayer, making time and space to listen, because friends, if you carry on being busy and being talking all the time, you won't hear. (laughs) We have to stop. You will still have jobs to do. I still have a job to do. But make some time every day, please, to stop, to rest, 
to give thanks to the Father, to listen for Jesus' voice, and to pray, come, Holy Spirit. Amen. Let me just close with a a final prayer. Eternal God, giver of love and power, your Son, Jesus Christ, has sent us out into the world to preach the gospel of his kingdom. Confirm us in this mission and help us to live the good news we proclaim through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.